Welcome, I'm your host, Dan Green. This is a place where we break down the hard work and the hustle that it takes to pursue a career in stand-up comedy. My guest today is a hilarious, hardworking LA comic. He's a sound engineer, podcast and show producer, former doorman of the Hollywood Improv, and a super good guy as well. Alex Kahn, welcome to The Verbal Gym. Thank you for having me, Dan. Sorry if I sound a little, uh, I'm coming back from, from what feels like death. Sorry if I'm a little hard to understand today, but thanks for having me, man. Oh, mate, it's good to see you. you you've muscled up and made it out today for us, mate. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, mate, so, so where did you catch the comedy bug? Is there a place or an individual that inspired you to start stand-up? Uh, you know, what's funny is like uh, my dad, very young, we do a lot of fishing trips and it was just prior. He listened to a ton of prior in the car, <laughs> a ton of it. And like to the point where like I would be quoting jokes and other people would be like, why is that child speaking like that? You know, I just and my dad was always sense of humor guy. You know, he was always explaining dirty jokes to me when I was young and what they mean, you know. So honestly, my dad. Worse. Yeah, well, it, it just lit it like a fire. You know what I mean? I come from the kind of family where you can't if it's funny, you, it's not wrong. You know, like you could sit, you can get away with anything as long as it's funny. As long as it's funny. All right. So, yeah. right. But yeah, well, farts are funny from a young age and then it just keeps going further from there. Mm hmm. And then as far as starting it, I don't know, it was, you know, I think a lot of us, you just derail a whole life. You know, and you're like, all right, well, I always liked this. I'll try this for a while. And there you go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the question, mate. Where was your first set and how did it go down? My first set, uh, I started in Vegas. I'm from Vegas originally. Um, my first set was at this place called Dealer's Choice, which is like a terrible dive bar in Vegas. And I'd went to a different open mic at like 8 p.m. And Dealer's Choice was like a midnight mic. And it was like by 1.30, everyone was hammered. It was it's old. It's <laughs> Vegas. It's perfect yeah. Vegas. I mean, the it feels like a trailer a trailer inside. It's like cheap wood paneling. It's a veteran. It's I think it's a marine bar. But so <laughs> I went to a, I went to this kind of like urban mic at eight o'clock. And I was watching it and I just was like, I can't hop in here. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> and then uh, and then I went to the midnight mic and I would later work out there a lot. But uh, I went to the midnight mic and the guys that ran it were these guys that are still in the game. Uh, Bruce and Randall in Vegas. If anyone knows crab meat in Vegas, the first three open mics I did were crab meat mics three nights in a row. And that was it. I was, I was destroyed, my ruined my life. <laughs> that's the question is was there a tipping point um going forward from that moment where you're like you know what i'm all in now i'm 100 percent putting myself at this you know what yeah you know what's funny is i had a buddy who um who uh he he would later go on to have very miss uh he'd have a lot of misfortune uh you know he got his own problems and uh when a couple of us from Vegas moved to LA. He asked for a ride and he ended up living on the streets of Melrose with a Chihuahua, like in the alleys. And he did comedy maybe three times in three years in LA. And he just kind of became homeless. 
And he was always on Melrose. So my buddy, Michael, who's from Vegas, the three of us kind of all knew each other. We both worked at the improv and about once every other month, we would see just like a a homeless dude would slam on slam. He'd be flying (laughs) by on a bicycle and he'd slam his feet to the ground and slide to a stop. And I'm not joking. He'd have like a chihuahua's head out of his hoodie. And he was just be like, oh, what's up, guys? But the first the first night I did comedy, I probably did five minutes of material in 30 seconds. I was just right. just, just running through it. Hard. Uh, yeah, just a mile a minute. Uh, I was drunk. It was two in the morning. Liquid courage. But I had said kind of some crowd worky things. So I kind of like messed with other comics in a way that right. was funny. And he was like, you should do this tomorrow. Like, I think it'll go better than today, but you did better than you think you did. And then about four years later, I would be at the improv and he would be homeless outside the improv. (laughs) But he's the reason I kept going. Honestly, he told me, keep doing it. Well, that's like the guy who inspired me to start comedy doesn't do comedy anymore as well. Um, Yeah, that's how that's how it happens. mate. How it always goes. Yeah, I'm like, he's doing it. I can do it. And then he just stopped doing it. And I'm like, oh, shit, maybe that wasn't such a great plan. And you're like, oh, I guess I'll move to L.A. and try harder. <laughs> yeah, that's, it. that's exactly what that was my inspiration coming out. I'm like, if he can make it happen out here and I'll go out here and I'm like, oh, OK, cool. And, uh, All right. I mean, yeah. yeah, that was that was that was the moment with those people. Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't cut out for the hustle of it, you know, like they're great artists or they're funny people. Uh, they're even better on stage than a lot of the people who put in the time and go all the places and, you know, just everything that it takes to organize uh, a hapless artist into a career, you know? And I think we all have those people who like the, I think for most of us, the one who told us to do it is not around anymore. You know? Right. I think zoom, I think zoom comedy over the pandemic kind of, uh, didn't give people that experience because you couldn't, you, we weren't taking so much of a risk to do stand-up comedy. You weren't coming out here and going, okay, mm-hmm. uh, this I'm going to do something that pays nothing and costs me everything to yeah. do. Uh, I can do it from my laptop and I don't even need to leave the house. I don't need to uh-huh. buy a car. I don't need to find somewhere to sleep. I don't need to, yeah, uh, eat. Um, yeah, that's really the hard it. part about this, right, is the survival. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a job that doesn't pay you any money when you start. And that's the thing. It's a job that doesn't pay you money that you're meant to love. Yeah. And, yeah, if you don't, otherwise, yeah, you're in a world you're in a world of hurt. I was talking to someone earlier today and I realized I was talking to a comic who was, it was uh, actually Craig Conant. I was interviewing Craig Conant earlier. And mm-hmm. Craig mentioned where in the beginning he would, crush arena go and, go and open up for a huge headliner and the mm. next day he's working at trader joe's yep and for years like for years and it's like, like 10 whole, 12 years yeah yeah that whole I'm, I'm fortunate in my current job hopefully i've got it when i get back where working at a comedy club i'm actually working in the environment that i'm trying to get better at but i've I, that i've done that since day one day three mm-hmm. in la i was lucky to get that job i haven't had yeah to, Push. I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. I haven't had to push through the absolute soul crushing job to do my passion project over here. Yeah. The Do you love the door guy life? <sighs> I did it for, here's the thing. I did it for 16, 17 years in douchebag mm. nightclubs. 
Yeah. So everything I'm doing now is a watered down version of how fucking insane that was. Mm-hmm. And that I don't mean. I mean, comedy club door guy, like you're the face at the beginning. You determine how the mood that everyone in the building is going to be in. And people don't realize that that like the guy standing out front could ruin, could sour every single person walking in. And it makes you have to be a comic all night, you know? I, b- I believe Laugh Factory is starting to get that vibe at the moment uh, while I'm mm. like six weeks gone. Uh, they're like, yeah. oh, man, it was a rosy face out here. I'm like, yes, yeah. I was. Yeah. So You get, uh, one, you yeah, get one pissed off dude outside and everyone inside is miserable. I did that. So I was a, com- a door guy at the Comedy Works in Denver, too, before I came to L.A. Right. And I, I mean, I love it. I, oh, you work with Brandon. I Br- Brandon worked yes. at the Comedy Works when I worked at the Comedy Works. Actually, we just worked at the opposite clubs. But um, I don't know. Like when I, if things didn't go well for me in stand up, I would probably die a door guy at a comedy club. It's my favorite job I've ever had. You know, it sounds silly, but it's so fun. Well, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the douchebag nightclubs were fun. I think douchebag nightclubs prepared me for comedy because it was just a constant roast battle. I yeah. mean, the front. I have. There's nothing I haven't been called. Mm-hmm. Like in the, particularly as a bloke who struggled with weight and was a little bit over, a lot over yeah. in some cases. Oh yeah, I've been called. You, there's nothing you can shock me with anymore. So getting on stage and, and being worried, being self self conscious. <laughs> no, I've been yeah. yelled at in traffic for the mm-hmm. last fifteen years. So when you worked as a doorman at a comedy club, you must have seen more sets than you can remember. What's the worst habit that you see creeping into comic sets on stage? Oh, you know what? Honestly, the worst habit right now. People talk about this habit a lot. Bill Burr has been accredited with, you know, people, you know, people who talk, they, they don't realize they're embodying a particular person. You know, they watch too much Jessel Nick. Uh, they watch too much Burr. They watch too much uh, Rogan's one, Chappelle's one. Right now in comedy, all of these children, all of these fresh face comedians, the one year people, they need to quit watching Chris D'Elia. He is not like they are stealing his essence. And honestly, that's like that's what he is. He's this like guy. He's this flowy, goofy guy making voices. And that's the worst habit I see is people. They think. Uh, yeah, they think right now it's Delia, but it's always one person, you know, that they need to watch less of. Don't watch your favorite comic, I guess. No, I, w- I watch a lot of comics who go and open for comics on the road and come back with the same cadence as the guy yeah. they open for. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it's like, hard. Oh, wow. It's very hard. I call them tricks. Like there's a lot of things that cadence might rub off on you or the way you talk or the way you deliver but there are also little tricks that like I have friends who've opened for like I have a lot of friends who've opened for other people. And you could see like, oh, that's a little that, you know, and for me, it's fun because it's a little bit of their seasoning. It's a little bit of their flavor. Right. But if you use like I have a buddy who uses who used to open for Joey Diaz, who he uses whistles really well, you know, and just like <laughs> gra- attention grabs and stuff like that. Right. But, you know, it, that's something I think he picked up around that. And I know what I've picked up around the headliners I work around 
But if you pick up too many of their tricks, you just are becoming them. You're not becoming yourself. You're becoming, with a, little you're becoming bit of, a you're becoming a mimic. Yeah, exactly. And nobody ever becomes great mimicking, you know. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no. Uh, what What's the best advice anybody's ever given you on stand up? Honestly, young comics hate when I tell them this. When you think you're ready for any opportunity, wait a year, and you are. Every you do, you get one first impression, and you're never ready. You're never as ready as you first think you are. Yeah, I think that's I think that's correct. I mean, the first day of the pandemic, I remember it was March 12. I got it was my first. I was a, I was on a, in the original room at the store. Uh, it was a Friday night, and it was a, it was a one of them one of them seven thirty bringer shows at the store. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was pumped. I was like, I get to go to the store. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. And then it all went tits up with the pandemic and things just started. It was like a domino around LA, just close, 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 close. close, yep. close. And you're like, oh, shit. And it just beat me up at the time. I was like, this is horrible. I've missed a chance. And then I realized a year later, you know what? Not such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Because I thought I, I thought I had was hot shit at that time and I wasn't. I'm still not hot shit. But I mean, I'm better than I was back then. So yeah, um, there was one. Do you did you ever go to that open mic at uh, the Improv Patio during the pandemic? Yes, yes. A there lot. was a co- yeah. There was a, so as you know, I ran sound for a lot of that, and that was kind of I was behind the scenes on a lot of that. Right. There was one comic who she was less than a year in, and she would get very upset that she didn't get up weekly, <laughs> and. And um, one of the guys who would later go on to be a door guy there, but before he was even a door guy there was explaining to her, he's like, hey, if you come every week, you kind of get up every other week. That's kind of how it goes. Like, just come play the game you're supposed to. And she just kept kind of making a big deal out of it. Finally, I told her I was like, when I started, you had to wait three years to get a spot in front of a booker, you know, and you think you should get one a week. And and I'd mentioned something to her along the lines of, do you know how lucky you are that the booker doesn't know your name right now? And I expected her to like, you know, come back at me and be, you know, just be upset about it. And she actually had this moment of like, and she probably had a couple bad sets lately. It was just probably wow. honest with herself. and was like, oh, you're right. I'm glad that Rita or you know if you know any of the bookers didn't right. see the last two because they weren't good you know so wait wait until you're ready that's why I used to tell the guys when I was hosting the Laugh Factory mic as well who'd come back week after week after week I'd say listen stay away for six weeks yeah and they look at me and go and I said what do you mean what do you mean I said because people remember bad sets as well mm-hmm. and I said you're getting to the point where these bookers have seen you so many damn times eat shit that just be just just think one day you get hit by a fucking bolt of comedy lightning and come out of here like Eddie Murphy. They're not yeah. even listening. They just saw no. you walk on stage and 10 seconds in there checking emails. They could give yep. a shit what is coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. I agree. You entirely. Come over the head with, with, with this rubbish. Yeah, let point. it breathe. Let it breathe. Cause and honestly, the more I think the more like of those boilermaker kind of situations that you drop yourself into. I mean, obviously, that's what galvanizes us and makes us all better. But it's got to be really hard on you to to keep putting yourself up uh, on these very big 
like opportunities that right. you could sign up for and just miss, 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 miss. It's like, no, go have fun in Santa Monica for a week, Mike, and go have fun over there. You know, well, well, go that's, have fun. That's the thing, Mike. This is comedy is the only only job I've ever seen. And job is is what it is for some people, but it's not for others. Where all you can be in a room with a whole different array of comics, all competing for all well, call it competing, but they're all trying for the same thing. But they all have three different goal structures. There's guys yeah. who want to be a national headline. There's guys who just want to get on and show a week. And there's people that are just doing this for fun, and this mm-hmm. is just makes them feel good about themselves. But no one's wearing a different T-shirt to tell you who's who. And they're exactly. all in a room together. And it's, it's insane trying to figure that out. I was, trying, I was telling the guy the other day, he was trying to click up, so to speak, with LA Comics. And he said, I've got to find some people to work with. I said, be very careful who you pick. I mm-hmm. said, find someone who has the same goals as you, because otherwise you'll be doing backyard shows five years from now going, hang on, I had bigger aspirations out of this, but I got yeah. locked up with a guy who that was his thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what he wanted to do. I feel the same way about that with, you know, I think uh, there are a lot of people that you see doing shows together now, or even, you know, if you know people who've been around for a few years, you know, the guy I work with a lot, he's been around a while and he's known a lot of people for a long time. And right. you know, be like, oh, those guys have worked together for a long time, you know, and at some point I started to realize I started to realize the bed you make early on in comedy, which being your fans, and your 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 colleagues who you decide to make your colleagues, that's the bed you're going to lay in until the very last day. You know what I mean? There are people who, you know, and, and people might generically call it the B list, the C list, the A, you know, whatever. Wow. But it's like you kind of make a choice at some point where to fall in and you're going to fall in with those people. And unless you try really hard to get away, that's your crew. You know, you have to be very deliberate about what yeah like you said your goals yeah exactly mike that golden gloves was last night and no one even knew about it no and uh they i think they're i think i saw their viewership was like 5.2 million which is like these award shows 20 years ago were getting the whole country tuned in and now they can't even hit they can't crack five i'm down i'm down in australia right now uh australian tv is just filled with american reality shit Oh, really? Uh, oh, yes. It's just Dude. all American reality shit. It's Real Housewives of this, Real Housewives of that, 90 Day yeah. Fiance this, and I'm just like, you're all getting dumber. It's so funny is I'm very adjacent to that world, but I don't consume it. But a lot of the podcasts that I work with are in that world. Like wow. I, edit, I edit and upload a podcast that is centered around Married at First Sight. Wow. And uh, I work closely with somebody kind of in the Bravo world and I know nothing about it, but it is, I guess it's nice to know that what is making Americans dumber is now making Australians dumber too. <laughs> seven, seven Bravo it's called seven Bravo is coming. And it's a channel out yeah. here. Channel seven's a major network and they're about to bring out seven Bravo. And I'm like, hold on to your shit, Australia. It's about to get real. Andy Cohen is literally the um, what's the uh, wrestling guy? The big Vince McMahon. Andy Cohen is the Vince yeah. McMahon of 45 year old women. <laughs> it's like he's built a whole world that everyone is like in lockstep, just like they know all the little sub storylines and she's a bitch to her and he did that. And, da, 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 da. and it's a world that they've created. And BravoCon, uh, it's like 
massively attended. People like did, did tens of thousands Bravo, of people. Did you say BravoCon? BravoCon, as in uh, Comic-Con. BravoCon just happened, I think, two or three months ago. And I mean, we're talking, I think it was in Where? Nashville this year. I think it was Nashville this year. I could be oh, wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm going next year. I don't even give a shit. I'm going to BravoCon. I'm covering that for something. BravoCon is, um, is uh, it's a very, like, I think they had like 10,000 people in attendance or some crazy. I, I, it was some number that would like <laughs> blow your mind. And I think it was in Nashville. I could be wrong. We covered it on my podcast, but. It's like Comic-Con, but for housewives. And it's an interactive, immersive experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, oh, back to stand-up. Okay. We've all had we've all had one. What's your what what is what what was what was your your worst bomb? We've all had one. I've had a lot more than one. Um <laughs> I kind of went the route with comedy where I like to do kind of darker stuff. And when you're when you're trying to learn and you're talking about like what's in the fridge, people are like this poor guy. But when you're trying to learn and you're saying gross or offensive or, you know, things, it upsets people. So <laughs> my first three years were bombs. You know, I didn't, you know, worse. I'll tell you the worst. And the war, I didn't even think I bombed. Like, I didn't have that sweating sensation or right. lose my cadence. It wasn't like I broke down, but I did um, governors in Long Island recently. Ooh. And it, uh, we did it with our pod. It was like kind of for our podcast. The guy I did the podcast right. with was the headliner, and I featured, and I had to feature open. Like, I had to do a 30 minute uh, host spot essentially right. and bring him up. Which is a really fun spot. It makes you really good. Like you have to, you have to bring multiple elements to your. You have to be a feature right. and a host, and you have right. to be aware of that. And I went up, and I threw everything at them, and <laughs> they listened, and they kind of they, they're conversational. Like you make a joke, and they'll go, "Oh, watch out for that girl." They won't laugh, but they'll like respond to what you're saying. And the guy to a podcast with, he's from Long Island. Chris, his name's Chris Frangel. And Chris goes up and Chris just hasn't lived there in 30 plus years. Literally starts with like 15 minutes of local references (laughs) and gets them. And then he can do the show. And he told me, he goes, these idiots don't want to talk about anything other than themselves. (laughs) <laughs> you brought a you brought a big old bag of tricks for them, and all they want to talk about is the ice skating rink down the street and how it ripped them off one time. And it was just like I felt like I got zero laughs in thirty minutes. I didn't feel like I bombed, but I felt like I did a TED talk, you know. And he went up and just did talked about nothing and just crushed. And I was like, well, there it is. I think I had my worst one the other week. Here in, here in Australia, believe it or okay. not. I brought a bunch of people out to a show and because I wanted to murder in front of my parents the first time. It was performing, yeah. performing comedy in front of my parents the first time. Mm-hmm. And I brought 12 people, 13 guests to a show, and I brought all 13 guests to the show. The rest of the card didn't bring anything much. 
And the, the, Sounds like all LA. My sat, all my guests, exactly. Sounds like LA. All my guests sat at the back of the room. So there was just like this trench of nothingness between them and those. And I'm like, all right, I can make this work. I went out and did my hits. Uh, did all the stuff that I know is going to murder. It's good stuff. But everybody had seen it before online. I fell into that trap of doing comfortable material. Mm-hmm. Everybody got the smiles. And everybody was like this, but it didn't really crush. And everybody was like, wow. And my dad on the way home, we're, we, where I am right now is currently an hour and a half from the city. So mm-hmm. it's an hour and a half drive in a quiet car. My dad doesn't listen to music in the car. With so we're on the way after. back with my parents after you've, after you've kind of ate it a little bit. And my dad's like, your delivery was great. Yeah, your delivery was awesome. <laughs> uh, your presence is great. And I'm like, fucking Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's hard go, when... You just need go to write ahead. some jokes that are funny. And uh, and I'm like, that's all years worth of shit I just did out there. And yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, is when you are going through the the stress of getting all the people in the room or if right. you've ever... I mean, you produce shows. I know you have, but... Yeah, this, this room right here behind me. Yeah, that's your room. I never do good in my own rooms. Like the day of with all the pressure and you're setting up all your lights and you're, you know, I usually try to record and I'll try to mic the audience and you're sweaty by the time the show starts and you haven't best, even thought about best, your set. Best tip, best tip for producing your own room. Hire your own roadie. Oh uh, yeah, my honestly, God. Hire your a bad own, get, a friend who's, get a friend who knows what he's doing and hire, pay him 200 bucks or whatever it takes be your own roadie so you don't have to worry about setting up the room setting all this you can walk it because otherwise you'll be sitting there like you said you'll be covered in sweat i'm doing a show in houston and i've got 100 seats in the room like this room behind me here okay we've Mm. done the friday night went great we left the chairs out for the next night we come back on saturday shows it starts at eight o'clock i walk in the room at 7 30 all these chairs are gone they're all stacked in a neat pile in the corner a hundred chairs are stacked in a neat pile in the corner and all the tables are back in the bar. And I'm like, what the hell happened? And the guy who was doing the bar that night hadn't been told there was a comedy show on and just thought, oh, they left this shit out and cleaned the whole room up. Cleaned it up. So now I have to reset the room while the crowd is arriving. And now these are people who haven't seen me in four years and were like, hey, damn, just want to say hi. I'm like, Fuck off away from me right now. I'm trying to get this right. So now I'm coming across as an asshole of them straight away. I'm not exactly as open arms as I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it turned into a bit of a nightmare. But thankfully, I had someone, uh, two people opening the show, so I had time to relax. But if I had to Chill. host as well, oh my God, it would have just, but yeah, the panic of that. But yeah, you end up covered, soaked in sweat from head yeah. to And you know what I've noticed producing post COVID is, up until about 15 minutes before the show starts, nobody's there. You know oh, what no. I mean? Like in yeah, ticket sales. Like don't, yeah. And ticket sales, I think maybe because the internet makes it easy. Ticket sales start two days before and people show up 15 minutes before and you are already going to have that mental weight of this is going to be a failure if you're not setting up a hundred chairs, you know what I mean? Well, and yeah, then that people and start park- shuffling in. That and parking. Okay. Yeah. Parking's a big parking is a big deal as well. I did learn something. Here's a tip for kids. I did learn something. I have white and black chairs in this picture. Okay. What I made the mistake of when I set up a room, 
I put the black chairs in the front and the white chairs in the back. Put the white chairs in the front and the black chairs in the back because if the Good people call. don't show up to fill the whole room, it looks like the room's full. Yeah, ah, I like see, it. Learn, learn nice. that one the hard way. You're like a girl trying to figure <laughs> out how to wear a white and black dress to make her ass look better. I like it. <laughs> no, it's shapely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vertical stripes. Vertical stripes. Yeah, vertical darling, stripes. Not horizontal. Yeah. Mate, what's your, what's the favorite show you've ever done? What's your fi- most favorite show you've ever done? Most favorite. Uh like my most favorite show that is a running show that like you can do like you could go do right now is right. a terrible bar show in Nevada called uh I mean it's not terrible but it's at this place called Backstop in Boulder City and post pandemic it's a little slow but they had about 60 crazy Boulder City is the it's half retired doctors from Vegas and half the children of the dam builders who built the Boulder Dam. So <laughs> it's just this mixture. It's it's the weirdest like mixture of trash you can imagine. And it's normally my favorite show. Like it's my favorite. If I had to point at a show, that's my favorite show. Right. My favorite show I've ever done. Oh, I don't even know, man. My favorite show I've done. I did Cobb San Francisco not too long ago, and it was a podcast show. It was our show. Chris and I sold right. it, and I went out, and uh, Cobb's, the, the lower level seats about two. It was about full, and this was a Sunday night. Good turnout for a Sunday. We got almost 200, and I said, any cover-to-cover listeners here? And about 70% of the audience made noise, and that was like, and we don't, San Francisco's a big market, and we right. don't do it. So, you know, it was it was a good it was it was the best of all worlds. I'm not saying it would happen again tomorrow if I tried, but that was like, oh, shit, this is working. You know, that was it. So probably that one. But speaking of things that I like that work, you're part of the production crew for the rapid fire comedy to comedy. Tour. Yes, sir. What have you learned from putting these shows together for the Marines out here in L.A.? The. uh well, I've just, learned actually, that, just explain what explain what it is first to people who have no idea what they're talking about. So uh, what we do is it's run by my buddy, Michael D'Angelo. He's an ex-Marine uh, or he is a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. And he's out now. And he had started it started with him sending about letters to 400 bases. <laughs> just wow. all around. He sent 400 <laughs> letters to bases. Pretty much said, I'm a comic. I'll perform for free because I know that the military is not going to pay me. I just want to get in front of you guys. Uh, And what that has graduated into is what we typically do is we'll take a van. We move as a unit similar to the military, take a van full of comics, about six or seven people. Um, We get Brian Simpson headlines, quite a few of them, and he's an ex-Marine and he he loves them, too. So that's always a good a, a good little cherry on top at the end. But we'll get about eight, seven, eight comics in a van. We'll drive to a base. The furthest we've driven was um, uh, the Mountain Warfare Training Center in Northern Ooh. California. What is that? Um, Pendleton? No. Yeah. Um, no. Pendleton. Up Pendleton? in, is it up near, I, I don't know. It's about a 10 hour drive north. It's up in like the, uh, up in like um, uh, the Redwoods. It, it, sounds, it sounds cold and mountainy, yes. It's very cold, yeah, and it's about nine hour drive. Um, that was uh, that's the furthest we've gone, but we do a lot of 
Southern California, 29 Palms. We do, um, you know, Santa Ana free beach. We do a lot. Actually that's penalty. So, um, we do, we go to bases and we will set up a generator, a PA system and whatever we can find is chairs. Uh, my, my going favorite is MRE boxes. We had about, about a hundred MRE boxes sitting up upright on the ground (laughs) and, uh, and about 50 guys taking knees for that one too, but whatever chairs we can find a generator PA and one light. And we put on a a comedy show for Marines and it's usually like a warrior night, you know, like after a big training or a graduation, we come in and we get them when they're already drunk and we try to make them laugh for a while. And the cool thing is they're normally picturing, uh, you know, like a junior improv troupe or like they call it they call it mandatory fun because everyone has to show up. (laughs) And usually, usually it's like lame. Usually it's like I've been hiking for two weeks. I just want to go sleep. I've been to some of those lame shows when I worked in Iraq. I worked five years out there and I've been to some mandatory fun shows that sucked. Yes, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so we do those and they're expecting to hate us. And by the end, they get Brian Simpson, someone that they recognize from Rogan right. or something, you know, and and we bring edgier comics for them because we know what they are and what they like. And right. um, that's what we do. We do bases, stateside base shows for Marines. Most of our audiences have a uh, have an average age of 20 and an average IQ of seven. So. <laughs> They're that was, fun. That, that was the thing I found when I was in the infantry is, is there's no, there is a long line of people telling you what you should like. Yes. And when you're in that environment and there's also, and those people, usually the things that they expect that you would like as a military member are G-rated shit. Yeah. And that, that makes you look good in the public eye, not realizing that these guys are trained to kill things every day and that mm. may not be what they're into. And they're not even just trained to kill. They're trained to sit around and wait for someone else to try to kill them. <laughs> so it's like they don't have yeah. time for idle bullshit. They don't care. You know, it's it's no. give, give me the real stuff. Give it to me on tap or I don't care. And I can appreciate that. And that's why we have fun. And you have these moments where you ter- where you're about to say something and you have this like this, the the audience filter and you go, I don't even need that. You get to just like. Oh, these yeah. guys don't care if I call this woman fat. Like, I don't have to tiptoe around this. These guys don't care about anything, you know, like, so it's, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, where it goes from here, I have no idea, but it's cool. Vet, have you heard of Vet TV? Yeah, Donnie O'Malley's a good friend of mine. Oh, cool. Vet TV is actually, uh, they're kind of producing a, a special taping for rapid fire. So that's awesome. We've got, and, uh, yeah. No, I, I got in the early days of irreverent warriors, which was the project before oh, TV. We've, we've worked um, with irreverent warriors. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did a couple of marches with irreverent warriors in Houston. Mm. And oh, uh, cool. yeah, yeah, I've got, yeah, I've, yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've drank out of somebody's leg in Houston before. That was uh, a <laughs> you remember you remember drinking out of someone's prosthetic leg. Trust me, that's a taste that will never get out of your mouth. Yeah, and it's a taste of it's kind of like Ben Gay sweat <laughs> and beer, and you can put four of them in it. Uh, yeah, four beers will fill oh, your leg. Wow, four mm-hmm. of them. The uh, yeah, they're um, 
irreverent warriors is uh the seeing as that i am a civilian i don't go to the hikes with them right. you know i went i've done some shows for them but i haven't i don't show up to the actual events but all the guys i've met are there i mean i've from what i've heard it's it's a riot it, it's almost like those like those mud those ruck races and stuff it was always about right. drinking never about running well, the difference, the difference when you get out of an environment like that and you see from working with those guys how everything is, it's very brotherhood. You're, you're close infantry, you're on top of people all the time. And when you get out, that disappears. And when we used mm-hmm. to do a river warriors hikes, you'd sit there at 6 a.m. and get ready to hike. And it's basically a bunch of veterans getting together and they're doing a pub crawl, basically. Mm-hmm. They're walking 21 kilometers to do a pub crawl and we'll break, take a break and have a beer. They're all in their little pockets or their little clicks at the beginning. Maybe there's a couple of guys by themselves because they don't know anybody. By the end of that pub crawl, those guys have seven friends' phone numbers now. So if that guy's have a hard day and is thinking about the worst possible way to fix mm-hmm. that, and that's what it all is, the curb veteran suicide, he's got seven guys he can call for a drink now or talk to that he met on that hike. Yeah. And, that was, and the problem was is that the VA's support structure just isn't good enough to take care of that right now. It just doesn't have doesn't have the ability to do it things like vet tv and rapid fire comedy tour are fucking hugely important for that because they bring soldiers together either on base or or as veterans and that's fantastic yeah no i saw saw that work as a veteran myself i saw it work and i thank you for the work you guys are doing because it saves lives yeah thank you i mean it's weird is that i get a very as a civilian it gives me a very brief view into the world and that was exactly what irreverent warriors, what they'd explained to us was like, you know, the point is not the, the point is just to leave with a friend. You know what I mean? Right. To know one it's guy exactly. because and that's also why I take it and I take it. Compl- I'm fine with the fact that I can't come on the events because I'm not the kind of guy who can actually commiserate with these. I haven't gone through what they've gone through. And right. the point is to create a structure for them. And, and uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, thank well, yeah, you. The guy like right. that, he finds fun. You've seen some of the stuff these guys find funny, particularly yeah. if you've been around the TV guys. Mm. And you can't tell those jokes to your wife or your brother no. because he thinks you've gone and lost your mind. And so, so I, can tell it, I can tell a joke about this. some of the stuff I've told stories about. I'll tell other people, I'm like, oh, my God, it's horrible. And I'll tell a bunch of vets, I'm like, that's the funniest damn thing I've ever heard. They're like, that's hilarious. They get it. Yeah, they get it completely. When we first started, uh, we were playing this. We were trying to do it right. You know, you try to do things the proper way. You try to go through the channels, you know, and um, and uh, the uh, we were running into a bunch of officers who would we would communicate with the officer before coming on base. And they would give us literally like like almost like you're doing, you know, a, a family friendly club spot. You know, like you're doing comedy and magic club. Don't talk about this. I, Don't talk I about this. Don't talk- G-rated shit. That's what they want you yeah. to like. And um, one time they had. T- so we have amended the policy now. D'Angelo has a great. What he says is if these boys aren't if these boys can die for their country, but they can't laugh at each other while they're doing it. We're the wrong show for you. And normally wow. when you when you phase it in a way of. If 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 these guys are adults, which we all know they are, then leave us alone. And we found a way to say it the best way. But um, we got kicked off of about three or four bases in the early days, <laughs> like mid mid show, mid show, like 
like a, a like an officer walks in and like shut it off, shut it down, turn it off. <laughs> and we were doing. Oh no, I'm sorry. Bridgeport is where they do mountain warfare. Bridgeport, it's up north. Right. That's the one. That was the one of the the infamous ones we got kicked out of because it was freezing cold. We drove ten hours. And we had nowhere to perform. And they finally gave us an auditorium and about a hundred guys trickled into it. And it was starting late and it was like, we barely pulled this off. And uh, Michael and I are in the hall talking in this <laughs> off the, the officer, the like the officer in charge of the base, whatever his rank is, he's walking down and uh, D'Angelo greets him. And he says, how's everything? And he goes, I said, no jokes about women. And uh, he was like, no, you said no jokes about female service members. Like you can't ex <laughs> you can't expect 200 young men to be right. in a room laughing and not mention like, what are we talking about? This is what what is this? Like, I can't make jokes about dating either. Like dating is hard what? as the hackiest joke. I can I not talk about that? So we kind of get in this little back and forth with them. And he goes, I said, shut it down. And it's like, all right. So we walk in and I start winding cables, you know, and like we have to kind of get the right. mic from our buddy who's on stage who he thinks he ruined everything. He has no idea. What's going on. <laughs> so we're like, God, give us the mic. And I'm twirling cables and this officer walks up and he wants to address the room and he wants to read them. You know, the, he wants to just get on them and chew them out. And he goes and he looks at me and he reaches for the microphone and I just unplug it and start winding it up. Oh. And he goes, it's like our microphone. And you told me I have to be off your base in five minutes. So I don't have time to hand you my stuff, sir. You know, so I just kind of unplug it and start going. And he puts his hands behind his back and he's walking up and down. And these guys have just finished two weeks in the freezing right. cold camping in the mountains. And he goes, uh, he goes, do we find this funny, boys? Uh, is this funny to us? And they're all quiet, but they were all having a Laughing. blast of a time. They, yeah. Yes. It, yes. It's funny to everyone, but nobody can say yes. And he goes, uh, he goes, what would you say if your wife or your children were in the room? And that was the thing. Like you just said, They're these not. are not. Yeah. These are not jokes you tell in front of your wives or kids. Exactly. These are not the kind of the the things you tell these people are not the things you tell to other people. But and you have to just, tell somebody. Yeah. And That's it was just one of these. It was one of these moments where it was like, does this guy not understand that no, none of their wives are here right now? Like, does he does he really think that that's a an, a, a good argument in this case? And, and, that, and that's the problem, mate. That's what therapy looks like from the VA level as well. It's this fucking G-rated yeah. shit as well. They're not they're not addressing the real problem, and that's the real mm -hmm. problem. Is these guys need an outlet, and yeah. if they don't have an outlet, they're they're a can of they're a can of beer that's just being shaken up. And as mm. soon as you open the top on it, it explodes everywhere. It's They've flies. got that fucking outlet. Mm -hmm. No. And uh, honestly, the the what I've come to learn is veteran. I mean, the younger, the active crowds, they're hard to wrangle and they like to party. They're hard partiers. But the veteran crowds typically have the best sense of humor because they have right. the best of both worlds. They're adults now. They have houses and real shit going on. But they remember what it's like to be just that young dude sleeping on your backpack with a gun, you know, and right. they're the best, you know.
Okay. And, th- on, and thank you for your service, by the way. Thank you. Thank you, man. On a different tack, uh, you produce and co-host um, the very successful podcast we mentioned earlier, Cover to Cover mm. with Chris yes, Jolla. Yes, sir. As a podcast producer in the podcast space, what are the biggest challenges that you run into and how do you overcome them? Um, you know, I think it's it's building an audience is, you know, it's it's building your first 1000, right? That first 1000, because once you got a thousand, it can kind of snowball. If the product stays good, it can keep moving. Building that audience is always it's always a it's a tough start. And some people have very engaged fan bases online. And if they started a podcast, they don't even know this. But if they came to me and said, start me a podcast, it would be successful in six weeks because, you know, like I know this tattoo artist who was talking to me about doing a podcast and he's got tons of followers, but he gets like he posts these very long form videos online and like gets 20,000 likes on him and people watch him. And what it is, is it's him like stenciling like the outline of a woman, you know, like it'll be just his wife is almost like interviewing these women while he's stenciling their asses and their tits, essentially. And it's not creepy because his wife's there and he's a magnificent artist and it's fun content. And he and I were talking and I told him, I was like, you already have the audience like you could start a podcast and it would be huge tomorrow. That first that that very small that that seed that grows to the first plant be, be, going wow. from seed to a potted plant is hard. But once you're a potted plant, you can put it in the ground and grow, you know. Right. But how how we did it, uh, we're very involved with a uh, the, that Bravo, you know, some of that world. Yeah. And Chris has a lot of um, he, he appears regularly on this massive podcast called Juicy Scoop. That's I mean, it just. Oh, Heather McDonald. Heather McDonald's yeah. Show. I mean, yeah. did you hear about her? Did you hear about her Sony deal she just signed? No, I did not. I will. I'll tell you that story. It's a great story. I mean, a very great story. But um, so she has a very large podcast and they were on they come from similar worlds anyway. They were both on Chelsea Lately together and they're friends. And from there, we were kind of able to and it took it took two years to get to 15,000 an episode. You know, it took a while. It's it didn't happen fast. But once that happens, you know, it's, you know, then it's Patreons and it's advertisements and it's a, it's a living. And then you have resources to turn and burn other places. And, and that's easy. So we're a little lucky and that we had access to Heather's audience. But what I realized is you could get Joe Rogan on your podcast and it's not going to get a Joe Rogan size amount of eyes, No, it's not. but you, but if you, you have to get on their shows, right? So if you have a friend, you know, what's funny is I know these guys who have a YouTube podcast and I know people who have paid them 10 grand to do an episode because they have 30,000 young male eyes on them. Right. And if you cry, if you knock that out of the park and you make the right jokes on YouTube in front of all these young men, across. they're coming across. And so he paid for the privilege and he ended up kind of getting in a fight with one of the guys and it became a head buddy thing. But he still got like five or six thousand fans out of it because they were like, no, it was cool how he stood up to him. But he it cost him money to do. So I think 
if you want to really grow something, do your best to get on other, get in front of as many audiences as you can. Collaborate. And we don't do guests on our show. We're just a, uh, it's he, he hosts and I, I just kind of, I'm his Lee Syed. I just, he bounces off of me. We keep it moving. And, um, the, uh, but, but the guest thing, if you, the reason we don't do guests is because they're a pain in the ass. I'm sure you know this, uh, last comics cancel last minute constantly. All this shit's constantly it's, it's managing guests is the hardest part of a podcast. So if you reach out to these podcasts and say, hey, I have a platform, it's not as big as yours, but if somebody cancels on you last minute, I'll answer, you know, I'll answer the phone, you know, and you you can wiggle your way into these opportunities where be interesting and be likable. Yeah. And and you do it in front of them. And then if five percent of their audience even gives you one chance and listens to your episode, you just got fans. It's 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 purely collaborative and everyone is trying to get big names on their platform, but their platform is small. You need to get yourself on bigger platforms and try to drag as many people off of that platform with you as you can. And that's that's what I've learned. That's been the biggest issue for us. Uh, And even for me, I've kind of done I had a podcast on my own for a while and I did well, but not enough to, it wasn't the right thing, a new project, wow. a new time. I, I, I don't know what I want to do myself yet, but I learned early on, you know, I mean, with our following, it was easy to grab a big handful and slowly start, you know, and that's what it is. It's uh, yeah. it's purely collaborative. And a lot of people don't want to do other people's stuff because it's a pain and people cancel all the time, like we were talking about, but you know what's so funny yeah, you're, is it's you're, like, yeah, you're the most important thing in some comedian's day until they book something more important than you. Exactly. Every time. Oh, oh I have stories and stories and stories. <laughs> um, but uh, it's just so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same as with stand up. If you're in the back of the room and somebody doesn't show up, they might put you on. If there's someone better than you that's also in the back of the room, they might not, but they might put you on. If you just make those connections with podcasters, if, if you're not there, you're ne- if you're not there, you're never going to get a shot. Yeah, that reaching out to people who are bigger than you is the same as waiting in the back of the room. You know, right? So yeah. getting back to stand up, mate. Um, Post pandemic, uh, we've seen a shift in audiences' sensibilities. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Being, I think, being isolated and, and being at home changed people. How are you seeing audiences develop from your perspective and what direction do you see stand-up headed in going forward? I think that stand-up is, uh, I actually think everything, uh, every entertainment, I think fame, uh, I think fame used to be like a big, beautiful, ornate mirror. And somebody, COVID definitely smashed that mirror. And now there's just all these little pieces of mirror all over the floor and there's mine and there's yours and there's my other friends and there's someone else's and there's a big ass chunk over there. That's Joe Rogan's and there's a really big chunk over there. That's Heather McDonald's. And and I know we're still talking about podcasting, but I think, I think the independent artist nowadays, there's so much technology that can help us manage our own, our own audiences 
you know, email lists and reaching out and communicating and making fun videos and firing them off once a month. Like, hey, I'm in these six cities this month and, ah, and you know, making all this stuff because like. It's so funny is I don't know anyone who. Like there are the big names, there's the the Louis Burr, Chappelle, Rogan, wow. sure, you know, Burr, uh, Cry, Burt Kreischer, even they're the people who like they say, hey, Andrew Schultz, I'm coming on tour and all their dates sell out. Right. But. For a lot of people, like for a lot of show producers, if you just run a show, it doesn't go as well. But if you like attach on to your audience and you say, hey, I'm coming to where you guys are, they're yeah. going to buy tickets and they're not going to. And one thing I've learned, too, is Saturday, Chris, Chris and I have kind of Chris found this and, you know, I'm on the road with him a lot. He's doing weekday one nighters uh, and he's, you know, three cities in a row and yeah. I'm coming home because as a comic right now, if you take a weekend at a club and you're just a normal selling comic, you're right. making 1500 bucks for five shows, you know, and right. maybe getting a hotel and an airplane. But you go do these door deals on off nights where you get to keep 80 percent of the door and right. it's a Tuesday. You don't have anything to compete with. It's just nope. you tonight. No and shot. and then you talk to your fans. It's like how I was saying with Cobbs, what we did, right. you know, and. I guess what I'm saying is I think fame has become very insular. I think a lot of people have a small amount of it. And what I see for the future for people kind of at my level and your level is you build, let's say you have your 20,000, whoever they are mm -hmm. that are, that care about you, that listen to your podcast, that do whatever. All right. I look at you. What, what cities you got? And you go, I got Texas. I got all of Texas. I can get, I can get 50 people in any city in Texas. And I go, cool, I can get 30 people in any city in Texas. And then I got another friend. He can get 30 people in any city in Texas. Well, let's go on a Texas run and let's sell 3000 tickets in all these different cities. That's wow. how I think the future of it is, is I think people getting together and doing collaborative, like bring you bring your fans, I'll bring my fans and we'll have a party. You don't, know. don't give away my secret of what I've been trying to prove in Texas for the last two years, <laughs> mate. That's what, that's what I've been doing with these Houston shows I've been putting together out there every three months. I'm just trying to sell it, find a nationwide headliner and go, listen, I can bring 100 people to a show in Texas. Put yeah. me on your lineup. That's what I'm trying yeah. to do. That's my flex. from. Well, and that's a, that's a great way, you know, and that's one thing that it's one thing that everyone does, but nobody even nobody will admit to. But everyone is looking at the calendars in all the cities. And when a headliner announces, hey, I'm doing uh, I'm doing hilarities, Cleveland this weekend. Every comedian that lives within a two hour drive of Cleveland or has a mom in Cleveland that they could stay with right. for the weekend that knows that out. headliner is reaching out. And I think that's I think one, you got to ask. But also, too, if you come to them and say, hey, in that market, I think I could actually move a few. Not a lot, right. but I think I can move a few. Can I come with you? You won't know I'm there. I'll carry the bags. I'll make no sound. I'll sell your merch for you after the show. And I'm going to make That's an effort. That's the big to one take. right there. I'll run the merch yeah. table. There you mm -hmm. go. Everyone needs a guy selling merch. That's the, it's the hardest yeah, that, job out. 
Mate, Alex, what do you got coming up in your comedy world and how can people find it, mate? Um, what do I have big coming up? So I'm doing a taping for vet TV. Uh, that is going to be February. Let me get the exact date. But if you're in San Diego and you're a vet or even not a vet, you have vets around vet TV, irreverent warriors. We're going to be at the mic drop, uh, which is the new club out there. Beautiful club. Uh, and the date is, uh, when is this releasing? This is coming out probably in, in by the end of this month. This is coming out in January, so yeah. Oh, cool! So February uh, February first, we are doing a, a taping for Vet TV. That is the biggest thing I'm pushing right now. And then uh, if you oh, and then one more Bakersfield. I produced a show in Bakersfield recently. Um, cool. Brought Kurt Metzger out, and it was a great time. We're doing another awesome. show. Yeah, he's so fun. And he's a, one of those New York guys that you got to give a ride to. And by the end, you're like, thank God I got to spend three hours in the car with that guy because he's a riot. Um, <laughs> but so now Franjola and I are going and Olivia Janelle, my girlfriend, and we're all doing another show in Bakersfield. And that is February 10th. And those are the two I got coming up soon. And I would appreciate your support. Dan Green, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having my, me. Is there a website they can check out for that? Uh, I'm terrible. Uh, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Where can can people find you on Instagram anyway? That's a good start. Con.tv is where I put everything. I'm an Instagram guy. I put everything on con.tv. That's where my whole life is. Mate, we've got one final question we ask every guest on the Vivil Gym before I let you go. If you could go back to that first set in Vegas and give yourself a piece of give a young Alex Khan a piece of comedy advice. What would that be? The the hardest advice to give new comics because they don't, I don't think they could wrap their heads around it. Have fun. If you have fun, even if you're doing bad, if you are having fun, people will have fun watching you. People love like people don't expect the guy in the bar at two in the morning to be good. But if you're having fun, they're having fun. And that's that's what I try to do every time I'm on stage. If I'm having fun, people are going to have fun watching, no matter how good the jokes go. That's fantastic. Alex, you've been a trip today. Fantastic. Check out Alex. Thank you. Check out Alex, Alex's deals going forward. Go and see the Vet TV taping in San Diego on everyone. I'm sure if you go to Vet TV, if you know what Vet TV is, you know how to go to where the Vet TV is. You know where is. they're at. Yeah, and find this man on Instagram, Alex Con. Okay, folks, and check him out in Bakersfield on the 10th. Yes, sir, February 10th. Uh, thank you for having me. Travel safe. When are you coming home? Or I know I'm you're coming home, home. I'm coming. I'm, I'm landing February 1st. I'm missing out on your vet TV gig, unfortunately. Oh, well, but, I look forward uh, to seeing you. January. All right, if you're oh, back mate. at the... Uh, I hope they get... I know you said... I think you were joking. I don't know if you're going back to the Laugh Factory now, but... If they have you back, I'm going back. I'm, I'm hoping yeah. they'll have me back with open arms. Uh, but uh, you never know, man. But I'm, I'm hoping so. I really think I. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Otherwise, I'll otherwise I'll be in. living in. Otherwise, I'll be living in an alley on Melrose with a Chihuahua if I, if I lose my <laughs> job at the Laugh Factory. Hey, it's a good life, Mike. Thanks, Alex. I'll see Cheers. you soon. Bye.